Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. It's your pals at Help From Future Self, the internet's finest casual Keyforge podcast. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, a.k.a. Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my compadres, my mates, my best Keyforge chums. It's Coach, a.k.a. Boulevard Paper Fight. We call him Blake. What's happening, Blake? Yeah, what's going on, guys? And the heart, the soul of the podcast. So happy to have him back. The Wheeling Keyforger himself. Rick. Hey. Yeah, welcome back, buddy. Good to have you Thank back you. on the cast. Feeling much better. And this week, we've got a real hodgepodge of topics that we want to talk about. We had some cool local events that gave us a slightly different perspective on the game, as well as some news that we want to be addressing. Let's start off with that. Um, hitting the internet this week, there was a really interesting infographic that was put together by a Keyforge fan, specifically about the Nuremberg event that was going on the Vault Tour and specifically the house breakdowns in the various events, including in survival. Um, and it, it sort of gave us a real picture of what's still hitting across the board for Keyforge in the various events. And uh, no surprises here, Shadows. Shadows is still hot. Blake, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I mean, Shadows was was like a country mile ahead of the rest. And I just think it's because the steel mechanic is so strong it's it's essentially whatever the number is it has a value of twice that because you're also removing as well as gaining and i think i think that's just the main reason and then this is is next as the next biggest and again that's something that c- provides control so you're controlling and making your opponent's life more difficult and then uh, untamed and brobnar were the followers behind that but yeah, I think it's just the steel mechanic in existence. Like that's all it comes down to is steel. It it basically puts your opponent off a key and puts you closer to a key. So just that mechanic is so powerful. And I don't think we'll ever see it go away unless they somehow print a set that doesn't have as much steel in it. But why would you do that? Because it's the main component of Shadows. I feel like in AOA, um, there's some attempt to rectify that slightly, but maybe it doesn't go far enough or maybe they don't want it to go any further than they already have. I mean, for example, you know, they they nerfed out bait and switch. Um, They've sort of made like the big steel card in the Age of Ascension uh, be an alpha and an omega. So you only get that off if you get it off. And it's for three amber. So it's a big swing against your opponent and in your favor, but you're giving up essentially a whole turn to do it. There's lots of little ways that they've tried to manage it, but I don't think it's having the impact that they were hoping that it would. I think we're still seeing shadows just dominate across the board for the exact reasons that you specified. Rick, what do you think? I agree. Um, I know for a, I know at least from what I recall, people were saying that in terms of numbers of cards for steel, there's half as many as there were in the first set. But even though, even being at half, they're still still way too powerful, I would think. There still needs to be some something done. I don't think anything will be done because the problem... No, probably they, not, but... They just created a, a mechanic that is way more powerful than what the other houses provide. And I yeah. think that's just... It's one of those things where you... It's cool because, I mean, it's not like you're at a disadvantage. It's not like one person gets gets it and the other one doesn't. It just means that it's going to be a go-to choice. Yeah. That's all. And so we just have to understand that and play with that. And it's honestly a fun thing. Like, I, I enjoy that. It provides the strategy where you have to be aware that it exists and plan for it. And that's a great part of any card game is having to strategize through the caveats of 
pitfalls and whatnot that could stop you from winning. I mean, I agree with that to a point, Blake. I think my biggest issue with that is that uh, we've seen it happen with other card games where something becomes ultimately the either you play it or you play a deck specifically, you know, put together to to try and take it apart. And that leads to more homogeneity in, in the competitive scene. But that's a very big topic. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I did want to address the fact that Shadows is still hitting big and we do not see an end to that anytime in the foreseeable future. Would you gentlemen agree with that? 100%. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to say, though, I'm wondering what those two new houses that might be showing up soon are going to say about Shadows, but... I don't need to be an enough. answer. Yeah. That's true. They yeah. could be an answer. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, they put together a house that has, you know, the, the bank vault house that, you yep. know, has tons and tons of steel defeating mechanisms or yep. steel punish mechanism, which I think would be amazing. It yeah, would. That's actually like, like how we had to reap punish this time. Yep. Yeah. You put out an artifact that uh, for every amber that gets stolen off you, you deal two damage to a creature. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, anything that creates that that sort of value uh, around that. And I, I will eat my hat if we don't see something like that in the future. <laughs> I have so many hats, too, so it might be a big meal. Um, I want to <laughs> get on to a new segment. Last week, we introduced Coach's Corner, which I think was a lot of fun, where the coach gave us some ideas around ways in which you could assess decks in sealed but i got something that i think will be just as fun we're going to call this one for lack of a better keyforge themed name would you rather and it's a very simple premise i pick two cards from the game of keyforge in this case they're both aoa cards but it doesn't matter they could be the same house they could be different houses they could be different sets and i ask each of my co-hosts which would you rather have in your deck assuming you could only have one so, real simple one to start things off. I'm going to ease into this one. Would you rather have, from House Sanctum in the Age of Ascension, Maruk the Marked or Barrister Joya? To run down what each card does, Maruk the Mark is a creature, a spirit knight. He's got five power, one armor. After Maruk the Mark prevents damage with its armor, capture one for each damage just prevented. Barrister Joya, a little bit simpler. Also a creature in House Sanctum, a human knight. Five power, one armor, just like Maruk the Mark. Enemy creatures cannot reap while Barrister Joya is on the board. Let me ask you, Rick, what would you rather have in your deck? When you first posed this question to me, my mind went automatic Barrister Joya. But as I thought about it more... I thought, you know, you're stopping damage. You're also gaining amber. So in my play style, I would say that that would be the better card for me to have. So you like Maruk because he's getting people off of a key uh, or, you know, and there's ways to sort of cheat that around. Like if you do damage to Maruk yourself, yep. say with a throwing stars or some other damage effect. I didn't think of that, but that is another combo that can be used. Yes, definitely. So more utility. Yeah. Interesting. Blake, what's your take? So when I was evaluating both cards, I, came to, I kind of decided to create a list of what makes them great. And so for Joya, the thing that is great about it is it actually has a lot less skill involved in being a powerful card. You just play it and it does what it does and it's fantastic. So when you put it on the board, it's an 
overall instant target. Like your opponent goes, I need to deal with this because I cannot move forward with a game plan if not. Now with Maruk, it's uh, you can put it, you play it, and it's not an instant target because it hasn't provided an instant threat. So you can use it to put people off keys, but it requires more combo play for true success. So it's not an instant target, so it's going to fly under the radar, and it's going to probably stick for a couple turns. But it does have the power to combo with a lot of things, and you're, and also your opponent has to play around it because they can't just go now whistling darts, deal one damage to every enemy creature because then that also means you capture one. So they have to think about that because if they're playing the whistling darts because it gets that ember to put them in check, that's going to kind of throw them off that. So for me, because I like playing combos, I chose Maruk the Mark and I have it in a bunch of decks and it's actually one of my most favorite cards to play, especially if you can get a Protect the Weak on it. And for both of them, you throw a Taunt creature beside them. Um, at I mean, especially if you get even one more armor, it now becomes a seven to kill. So a life for life won't even deal with it. So I think it's very powerful and I think it just combos so well. And there's so many cool things you can do with it. Um, and I mean, last night I had someone play play against me with a double, actually two opponents that had double Joyas in their deck. So in one of the games, I did not reap the entire game and I still was able to pull it off. So it proved that reaping is not the end all be all, but being able to capture and put off keys helps you get closer to that success of you winning. So Maruk the mark for me. I feel like I would probably, I feel like they both have a lot of value. Um, I feel like you need more complementary cards to get the most out of Maruk the Marked. Um, You still get a reasonable amount of value out of Maruk turn over turn as they aren't like a crazy big target um, in the same way that Joya is. However, I do feel like Joya has like a, a very, very, very strong power that if you have a way to protect Joya and keep your opponent from getting them off the board, it can really throw a wrench into your opponent's plans. I mean, that's true of a lot of cards. And in a lot of cases, you're probably going to have some redundancy with Joya. You're going to have something else that punishes reaping. Um, whereas Maruk is kind of relatively on its own in terms of the way it treats sort of the, oh, you can't sort of do these broad damaging attacks because you have to worry about whether or not he's going to capture. But yeah, I, I genuinely feel like for long-term value on the board, you're going to get more out of Maruk than out of Joya, where we know that anybody who sees Joya hit the board, unless they have a deck that doesn't ever need to reap like Blake does, then you're probably going to get, I think, uh, a good deal of value out of out of that card. But, you know, it's entirely a matter of choice of what else you have in your deck. I just think this is an interesting exercise from the perspective of, in a vacuum, which do you like better? And I think this was a, a good test of this particular segment. We'll bring it back again in a couple of weeks as we cycle through these. Maybe we'll throw it to Blake next time and have him choose two cards for you and I to assess. Rick, let's get on to it. We had a really cool event here in Vancouver this past weekend. We've all played at Magic Stronghold. A big shouts out to all of the folks we play with there and to Brett for organizing. And here is the event that was put together this time. Archon, Mars Attacks. Everybody had to bring an Archon deck that featured House Mars in order to compete. Gentlemen, did you have a good time at this event? I absolutely loved it. And you're not even a big Mars guy. I know. <laughs> Blake, did you have fun? I had an amazing time. I found, uh, I actually enjoyed the discovery of of finding the deck to bring because the one I was like pretty much hell-bent on bringing, I didn't end up bringing. 
And then there is another one that kind of emerged as just a great candidate. And I had so much fun playing it. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, I think one of the things that we frequently talked about in the age of uh, Call of the Archons was that Mars was really inconsistent as a house. Like, in the same way that if you have shadows, shadows, no matter what, is probably pretty good, except in some very extreme cases. We didn't see that with Mars. Mars was very frequently, oh, you don't have the right pieces, so it's just kind of mediocre at best. Whereas, you know, you could get these amazing combos out of Mars. It wasn't that common to pull a deck that had all the pieces necessary to make those things happen. So I think the selection process for this was real interesting. What I ended up bringing to the table worked really well for me as I went 3-1, as did you gentlemen as well, was just bringing a no-tricks Mars deck that just had a lot of big bodies and small bodies to complement the big bodies. And it just worked doing straight up meat and potatoes Mars stuff mm-hmm. using, you know, your, your mega mouths to trigger other people's abilities, uh, using your bolters to take out uh, high value targets, using your big bodies. Once you get the stun off of them to take out your big opposing bodies. And yeah, it just was a board domination game for me and it worked beautifully it didn't have to have any mars dirty tricks no agent smiths none of that business in order for it to work really well no key abductions was that the strategy that you took in the deck that you brought blake or did you bring something a little more insidious a and b <laughs> i am um, well first of all let's let's fill the listeners in uh alex brought a horseman deck and i also horsemen a were horseman not deck. a big factor on my victories i just like yeah. to put that out there yeah, it's it's it was kind of weird because there was four horsemen decks at this because there seems to be a correlation between Mars and Horsemen. And I brought mine strictly because it had the most powerful Mars lineup out of all my decks was in my horseman deck. And the horsemen were actually something that did not help me win sometimes. There was only one, the one that play and reap deal one damage was the only one that really helped me. A lot of the times, if I was not thinking carefully, I would accidentally i did it only one game i accidentally played my horseman of war which stopped me from being able to reap afterwards because you can only fight with it like there's it hurts you more than it helps you i found sometimes i was discarding my horseman because i was like i don't want to play this right now because it's just gonna like ruin my board that i just spent all this time setting up and the mars was amazing like i i did some shenanigans like you would not believe like i had an ether spider out with a key hammer so i was capturing six after they just forged right onto the ether spider and then i would call dis basically just to activate a dominator bobble and then activate my double remiel double mega mouth and just start pinging back and forth and house cheating and it was just it's such a blast to play and the whole deck basically just runs off of a mars lineup with uh, support from sanctum and then doing some uh, shenanigans with uh dis and it was so much fun i actually like discovering this deck and how it plays leading up to this tournament was like one of the most satisfying moments i've had uh, playing keyforge since i started Rick, what was the lineup in the deck that you brought? Creature count was a little bit low. I'd only had four creatures, but it had a, a crystal hive. It had a deep probe and it had a battle fleet. All right, let me ask you, were you getting a lot of value out of that crystal hive? Because I've seen some turns go bonkers with that thing. There was some rounds where I was probably getting at least six or not fully, if not fully eight every turn. That's a lot of amber. And did you find that people were ready for that kind of amber burst and were holding onto cards like their uh, too much to protect, their interdimensional graphs and other stuff trying to get it back off of you? I think I th- the only thing that really got me was the doorstep to heaven. 
Yeah. And even that really didn't do too much damage to me because I was able to rebound right right the next turn. Yeah, absolutely. Doorstep to Heaven against Mars is an interesting one because I find oftentimes when you get that Mars board going that has, you know, oh, every turn I can reap for 10 amber because I got Agent Smiths and I got a Crystal Hive and I got all these other shenanigans going on, you know, doorstepping to heaven, you know, next turn I'm calling Mars again and I'm going right back up. Do you have another doorstep to heaven? Can you bring that one back? Do you have some other trick? You know, it's just that ability to keep rolling with a Mars board. So unless somebody can doorstep to heaven and then use something else to deal with your crazy Mars board, you know, it's, it's delaying the inevitable. Exactly. I am super interested in the fact that Mars seems very well suited to a format like this because it really broke everybody out of what they might normally bring to a tournament like this. I've owned this deck that I played, this Four Horsemen deck, the Fervent Colleague, if you want to look it up, for literally since the first week that I started playing the game, and I have never brought it out, despite the fact that it's on paper one of my strongest decks, because I always felt like, eh, whatever, it's a strong deck, but it isn't that much fun to play. But in the context of we're all playing Mars, bring some Mars TNT and let's see what happens, it really felt like the right time. But if we're just doing regular Archon next week, I'm not bringing it out. Do you feel like other houses offer that same opportunity to break out of the way you might normally assess a deck for bringing? I feel like Brobnar could fall into that category. I think, I mean, obviously now Brobnar's got a huge boost, but I think that's one where people don't look to always bring a Brobnar deck. Mm-hmm. And so I think that'd be a, a good one to have as well. I would 100% agree with you. Rick, if we did Untamed Fest 2019, <laughs> how would you choose between all your Untamed decks? Which one would you be looking to bring for something like that? I've got a few spicy Untamed decks. My key elements would be key cheats. If I've got a Choda and or key charge, that'll really up my chances of bringing it. And just depending on how bursty it can be as well with hunting witch, which of the eye bringing stuff back, I I would have a great time trying to figure out which one I was going to bring. Yeah, you got a good collection to go off of, but yeah, yeah. I, I like those. Key cheats are definitely a, a good thing to look for. One of the strongest mechanics of the game. Speaking of key cheats and specifically key cheats in Mars, guys, am I crazy or outside of House Untamed? Does Mars have the best key cheat in the game in the form of key abduction? I never used to think much of that card. And in fact, I remember for quite some time, people kind of undervalued it. I have gotten hit so many times with that thing since the release of AOA. And sometimes (laughs) with cards that existed in Call of the Archons. Uh, I'm starting to think that it's the second best key cheat outside of key charge and Chota. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it time walks your opponent too, if they're playing Mars as well. Like I, Mm -hmm. that was almost like a, uh, that was a parameter for me choosing my deck for this event was like it had to have key abduction. And then I ended up looking at the decks that had it and I was like, you know what? This deck that doesn't have it, I think is stronger. But I thought that was such a good one when you know everyone has Mars because you're going to get to time walk. And it's like if you're both playing, it's like who gets there first? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A super fun event. Thank you to everybody who came out and played. We have such a great community here in Vancouver, and it's been so rewarding to get to know everybody that we get to play with and play with them not just at one store, but across multiple stores and at some private events. Hopefully we'll set to, uh, to up some kind of a help from future self invitational at some point where we 100%. all get together. Uh, we'll throw in a couple bucks. We'll get some prizes. We'll, we'll do a little, you know, sort of off the books tournament of some kind just to see what happens. 
then we'll report back on it on the podcast. Sounds good to me. All right. We like to end off the show with a segment named after the show. It's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. And I got one this week. Um, it relates very much to what I was talking about last week with Help from Future Self. Um, at that time, I said, you know what? Don't let your opponent get a board unless you got a board wipe. Seems like obvious advice, but it was a good reminder for myself because so many times I lost to a big board I had no answer to in the kind of racy deck that I was playing with, especially now that AOA has so many capture and repatriate mechanics. A corollary to that is if you are playing, as I did this past week, a deck that uh, builds up a strong board, do not think I got six creatures, they got two, I can afford to just reap this turn and let their two creatures live on the board. If you have the big board and you can safely, without sacrificing any of your key pieces, take out their key pieces, do it. Dominate, 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 dominate. Make them always be looking to build up that board. Look at it from the opposite side, and as long as they are constantly trying to put down a creature, any creature, so that they can, one, cycle their hand, and two, build up some kind of board presence, you are literally forcing them to do something every single turn that they might not have done otherwise. You are dominating the game. So, once again, probably obvious advice and super obvious advice to a lot of people who play a lot of Keyforge, but for me, I feel like that one was a worthwhile one to keep in mind. I won a lot of games because I played a lot more aggressively in terms of taking out even small creatures than I would have normally, and it really paid dividends for me this past week at our Mars event. I would definitely definitely tend to agree with that. I don't always keep that in mind myself, but yeah, it's definitely... You want to make sure that, that they're even a little board can't do much to your board at all, just exactly. so that you have a clearer, clearer path. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, That's actually how I won with my deck, because I would literally just establish such a big board that anything you put out, I would have two houses I could call that were so dominant that I would just literally go into them and just take out absolutely anything that you put out on the board. And if you did put something out, it would be like, I should have at least a three to one on you. Um, so that way, you just couldn't do anything. And then when you can't establish a board, I just reap with the rest. And then it just like, you just create such a, a powerful um, imbalance that you cannot be beat at that point because they can never establish anything because no matter what goes out, you can answer with a few things into it. And plus, mm -hmm. you can just reap out the rest. So you're moving faster as well as making them go slower. So it's like almost that much faster to the to the keys. In the same way that I feel like any truly competitive deck has to have artifact control, I also feel like any truly competitive deck has to have at least a one board wipe and probably two or three in various different configurations, whether that be, you know, a bouncing death quark or something else like that. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. All right. This has been another episode of Help from Future Self. We're on Twitter now. Where can folks find us on Twitter, Blake? It's HFFS Podcast. At HFFS Podcast on Twitter.com. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and Instagram. Blake, where can they find you? Boulevard Paper Fight, BLVD Paper Fight on Twitter, as well as on my YouTube, where I'll be posting games. I am actually started in an adaptive league with Sanctimonious, and uh, I'm going to be putting up a game tonight, actually, to check out. It was a fun one. Nice. Rick, where are you at online? I'm at the Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. I won't be here next week, but 
My two homies will carry the torch, and I will be back the week after for yet another episode of Help from Future Self. Thank you so much for listening, and of course, till we meet again, stay forging.